Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Well, John, let's talk about the four Bs today. Build Back Better Billionaire, or Build Back Better Bill, as Congress is calling it. I think this is this is kind of real infrastructure, David. Not that fakey like infrastructure that that you're so in favor of. This is this is a this is a, a very important bill, and I think the politics has kind of crowded out the substance. Could be, John. I think there's actually a separate infrastructure bill. To me, this is a health and healthcare bill. Details, details. No, but this is if you think about what we're trying to you know for the last thirty plus years. Um, and I think that the president and the and the Democrats have lost the narrative. We have been trying to slim our way to success by cutting taxes on rich people, cutting taxes for corporations, and failing to invest in not just you know crumbling school and road infrastructure, which the other infrastructure bill is talking about, but in terms of medical school and keeping kids fed and childcare and elderly care. I mean, I think this is the social side of infrastructure, which is really crucially important to invest in as we kind of emerge into this next phase of uh, you know post-pandemic and the new America. I, I, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Again, the, there's a lot of horse race politics, well, who's up, who's down kind of conversation. But if you look at the substance of this bill, there's a lot to love in your Build Back Better plan. John, I think um, maybe the Biden White House should hire you as a spokesman because they haven't done a great job of communicating it. Neither has leaders in Congress. You know, Obama, Barack Obama was given a lot of criticism because he didn't sell, uh, you know, the value of the Affordable Care Act as well as he could have. And that's that's true and of the stimulus. But I, I think they're doing a much worse job right now. John, to me, this is a health and a health care bill with a dose of climate uh, awareness built into it. You know, we talk about social determinants of health, John, your favorite. How do you pronounce that? Stall. I hate that phrase. I mean, let's start, let's start with what, let's unpack that, David. Social determinants of the health, a phrase that only an economist could love, is that co- those components of life and circumstance that have the, that actually are one of the most um, influenceable aspects of whether you're going to die healthy and and old or unhealthy and young. I mean, it's things like food, uh, housing, um, very basics, uh, 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 violence in your neighborhood. And, you know, for me, they're not the social determinants of health. That's some fancy Harvard economist that is probably a friend of yours probably invented that phrase. It's really the determinants of health that we can influence if we can create the right kind of social circumstances for all Americans that allow them to live a healthy life. John, it's funny to talk about this social determinants of health, which is like socialism misnomer, and then social distancing. What is that uh, as well? So maybe we should get all the socialism uh, out of this bill and recognize that, John, to your points, this bill actually does things like providing preschool, universal preschool and child care, school lunches, affordable housing. And there's also a generational element of this, John. There's been a big tilt uh, over the decades toward spending a lot of money on the old, especially for Medicare and Social Security, and not a whole heck of a lot on the young, which is actually where all the action and potential lies. You're getting close, David, to that category where you'll, you too will be fighting for your hearing aid. I think that's, I think that's right, though. I mean, I think that the, but this bill, and honestly, one of the challenges of communicating it is there's so much in it. 
But let's take one particular thing. There's something, again, the gruesomely titled e Earned Income Tax Credit. This is a, a policy that would uh, basically gives tax protection and financial support to those who are poor who have kids. By increasing the size of it, which we did during, by doubling the size of it uh, during COVID and increasing the number of people who qualify for it, we literally cut child poverty in half. When you don't have hungry kids, they thrive more frequently at schools, their IQ gets up, violence in neighborhood goes down and 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 so do, and truancy goes down as well it is a fundamental aspect of creating healthy opportunity health and opportunity for poor kids uh, and this this literally doubles the impact of it right out of the gate i mean there's some and that's just one element in there there's also an expansion in, of support for the school lunch program let's just stay on hunger for a moment in many poor neighborhoods, you know, a warm and a, 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 a nutritious lunch um, is often the best meal for poor kids in the day. There's actually a desire to extend that through the summer because without that, kids become nutrition less secure in their nutrition. Just that one small component of this really long, complicated bill could dramatically change the arc of whether kids grow up um, healthy uh, and productive or not. And it's you know, it's, uh, there, there, but there's, there, and there's a lot more, but we didn't forget your category, Dave. There's a, there's some support in there for Medicare hearing aids and there's support for actually, uh, decreasing the cost of drugs with the reversal of the rebate rule. So don't, don't think you and the other grannies and gramps have been abandoned. Well, John, you were, you were good. You got a little soft on me there when you, when you were saying the warm lunch, I think you were, you were going to say warm and fuzzy lunch, which you could eat that. And I'll, I'll leave that one aside. You can have seconds, but you know, and this earned income tax credit is an interesting one because really it's a negative income tax, but we don't like to say, you know, we don't like to say that a word around here. So earned income tax credit is a, is a better one. And it's a, it's a direct way to make payments to lower income people. It makes a lot of sense. But John, you know what? Before you get all excited about this, whatever rebate rule you're talking about, Mr. X, uh, you know, Mr. Drug Man, what happened to the drug price negotiation? Are you always on your high horse about that? That's not in the bill. The Democrats rolled over and, and are having their tummy stroked by the big pharma lobbyists who poured money. I think they've got a $6 million PR campaign scaring people about drug innovation, that if we could in the US actually get to the point where we could negotiate drug, the extortionate prices that drug companies jack up on a regular basis, that we may lose the opportunity to innovate in drugs. I mean, let's get real. Other countries negotiate drug prices and they have big, large companies like Roche and uh, AstraZeneca. Oh, and by the way, a lot of these drug companies hide their intellectual property in Ireland so that they pay an even lower tax while they refuse in, in Ireland of all places, uh, where they where they while they refuse to negotiate fair prices. This rebate rule uh, is a phony uh, a distraction from the fact that they overcharge uh, American consumers. And that's why one out of four consumers who are on chronic meds um, can't afford their meds. The big pharma lobbyists came in here and bought off enough Democrats that they can't get it in the bill. I mean, 83% of Americans agree that the United States should negotiate drug prices. You know, private sector executives like, like you know, Florida Blue CEO Pat Garrity believe in it. It's 
the, the people in the know know better. But unfortunately, pharma dollars go a long way. Well, John, talk about return on investment. You know, you can't uh, you can't really fault them for that. I, I think the drug industry has to be pretty pleased uh, with this bill. The other thing that's not in there that I think nobody was going to put in there really is about immigration. You know, we're talking about having a shortage of workers, not enough people to care for the elderly, uh, not enough people to pay for Medicare. Immigration is a logical uh, a logical opportunity. And unfortunately, I think it's one of those places where I've made it so scary for Democrats to talk about it that no, nobody's really talking about immigration in a, in a positive way, which is too bad because that's really what makes the difference of an America with a strong and growing economy over the decades compared to other countries. Well, you do have you do have a little bit of um, support for dreamers, those who were born to um, uh, uh, folks who do not have a a, 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 a a legal immigration status, but who've have grown up here as 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 U.S. born young people, you do have some um, in investments in in healthcare, which I think are going to are going to put even more pressure to actually find nurses because there's a real nursing shortage because of the crimp in in, in skilled immigration that the that the that the Trump administration created. Uh, and we we're going to have a real challenge at staffing many of the jobs we need unless we support a more balanced immigration policy. And and it's um, but I think we're going to have to come back on that one. That is a a big red flag uh, cause for the for the Republicans. I don't think the Democrats are I think the Democrats are smart enough to avoid that one. So John, I think you know we talk about what's not in there and having to do with drug price negotiation uh, with. Immigration, but there is something that it really is fundamental, and uh, it really just has a gigantic impact potentially, and that is climate change. And that the Democrats have been wise to keep in there and to make it pretty big. And in fact, the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that they say it will reduce is get this one gigaton. That sounds like a lot. Well, I think I think that the this is a down payment. I mean, unfortunately, because the politics have become so tricky. On this issue, and the Democrats have a, a, a diverse party. Um, the Republicans have an anti-constitutional uh, single Trump party. I don't know quite what. There's no real way to describe it ideologically. Um, that's distracted from the fact that this will be the biggest one-time investment in again a foundational investment in setting the United States up to generate more um, green jobs and and uh, to lower our carbon footprint. I mean, you look at the the, the 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 multitude of things we're doing here. Um, it's to create incentives around domestic supply chains and solar, wind, and other industries. It's it's sort of the reverse of, of a carbon tax. It's actually creating sort of an anti-carbon uh, subsidies that'll actually it's it's kind of mirroring what China did, which is to subsidize the the to ex- subsidize the jobs and the businesses that can accelerate. Uh, our ability to kind of support a greener future. Um, and I think in some ways, the complexity of this bill is distracting from the substance of its impact, whether it's keeping more kids you know, uh, fed, uh, foundationally investing in those green jobs, and actually also a pretty substantial set of investments in healthcare infrastructure, um, subsidies and support for medical education, public health infrastructure, and an emergency response in the time of a pandemic. I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting set of initiatives, and it looks like they've got the majority of the Democrats almost there, David. 
Well, it's going to take every single one of them, I'm afraid. So it's hard to talk about gigatons and trillions and billions, but when we get down to the hundreds of thousands, it's something we can understand better. So when you talked about the Civilian Climate Corps, that's about supposed to be about 300,000. That's, you know, fills roughly three very big uh, football stadiums. And then on home care, which we haven't talked about and which is addressed in this bill, they talk about a waiting list of 800,000 people, uh, a waiting list for home care for, for Medicaid and how this is going to clear that waiting list and have better quality jobs for those that are doing the caregiving. Do you do you buy into that, John, as a home care man, which you are? You, know, you, you do have a problem, not just of supply of talent, but of payment. And because the, this, this bill, uh, as it stands, if, it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it passes, it'll actually start to pay uh, medic in the Medicaid agreement. That's the government's program for the poor, fairer wages to people who do some of the toughest work, the going to people's homes and helping keep them healthy. And if we don't do that again, they're going to end up in the hospital or the nursing home and cost us far more money. So last question, John, do you think that this bill represents a turning point for the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare? The turning point for Obamacare was that it, support for it actually grew during the Trump years when the Republicans were taking their last shots at taking it up. Right now, Obamacare is is, 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 is called the American health care system. Um, it's got majority support in almost every state. Uh, the um, There has been broad expansion of oh, the Obamacare extensions on, in terms of the Medicaid um, in red states. Whenever it's been put on the ballot, it's won. I, mean, I think the, 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 the back, the, the, there's, some, there's some support uh, and some trimming to help it here. But as a practical matter, um, Obamacare is the law of the land and will stay that way. This benefit, I think, is a forever benefit, David. It's all, and we're, when we can, we can make some tweaks here and there. But um, you know, it's a it's a foundational step in increasing coverage, and it's worked, and it will continue to grow. Well, John, I started off this podcast talking about the Building Back Better for Billionaires bill, and uh, they didn't put a billionaire tax in it. And uh, you know, it's just as well because you know, I don't know if it's going to affect you one way or, one way or the other. It it, it just might. But uh, now it's either I won't, we won't get to find out if you're going to be a billionaire uh, during this 10 years or not. Not me, man. <laughs> you're the you're 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 from that rich, rich neighborhood. I live in the city of Stanford. Uh, no, I, I look the whole again, uh, the the tax kerfuffle. But there's some there's some good tax provisions here as well. A 15 percent minimum corporate tax and, and a global agreement on that. That's a big win. Um starting to incrementally add more surtaxes and taxes on millionaires and billionaires. They didn't get every, everything they wanted, but gosh, there's a lot There's a lot to like in this bill. Sounds good, Jen. We'll keep our eyes on it and see where it goes. That's it for another episode of Care Talk. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of Care Centrics. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.